it's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Max Lowe is a filmmaker and photographer from Bozeman, Montana. He's also the son of Alex Lowe, who is widely considered one of the best climbers in the world. Alex died in an avalanche on Shishapangma in 1999. Max's new film is Torn, which explores his family's complex relationships in the wake of his father's death. I think that this film is the way it is because of my place in it. You know, I was the one who recognized the story in our family story as something that had potential to touch a wider audience in a way that I hadn't seen from the outdoor space before. You know, I think the, you know, other films had touched on it a little bit. You know, when I saw Meru for the first time, none of our family had seen a cut of the film before Sundance when it premiered and sitting in that audience with, with my family and Jimmy and Chai watching that film. And they, they had this brief, you know, it was probably like maybe three, four minute scene where Conrad talks about the avalanche and, and the loss of Alex being kind of at the root of, you know, the start of his trauma and losing people in the mountains and, that was the emotional impact point of that whole film you know, sitting there in that audience and seeing all these people who at that point, you know, didn't really know anything about the adventure world as far as storytelling goes, you know, Sundance is this very broad market of people who come from all over the place to experience stories, stories in a bigger way. And um, that was really when I recognized for the first time, like, this idea of grief and moving on from it and moving through it had this greater potential. And I just kind of stewed in that for a long time. I was like, and I, I kind of, you know, I resented that it had been told by someone that wasn't within our family because I recognized that there was this power there. And I also recognized that that was just this tiny little bit of it that people saw from the ex external uh, perspective. And so when Alex's body was discovered and we all went back to have that experience as a family coming out of that trip as this eldest son, as you see in the film, you know, I talk a little bit about when, when Alex was killed, I felt this need to step up and become little man of the house, you know, balancing things for my family in the way that Alex had. Um, you know, I think for any kid, when you have a trauma like that, when you're young, you grow up really fast. And I think that I unknowingly carried that all the way to present. And that was in part a big reason why I wanted to make the film. You know, I wanted to use the skills that I had as a storyteller to show my family their experience as I was observing it and help them move through that experience. Um, you know, I saw that my mom was still in love with Alex 16, 17 years after his death. And I saw that Conrad was still struggling so deeply with 
the survivor's guilt and imposter syndrome that he had experienced in the wake of Alex's death. And I saw that my brothers like were struggling to understand this man who they didn't ever know as a, as a man. <laughs> they only know him as the stories that people tell. And so I think that at its core was where the truth was going to come through. And the fact that I was also in the story and I was going to be held accountable by my family as part of the family, I was never going to be able to tell this story in a way that wasn't both my own perspective as a storyteller and this person within my family who wanted to allow my family to find that truth for each of themselves. And then also as part of my family and having to make sure that they weren't all going to be horribly upset at me <laughs> after we went through this process together. So yeah, speaking of that, um, I, I was curious as to whether uh, this process or this decision had been made before they found Alex's body or afterwards. Cause um, in the film, that's a, you know, that's a giant sort of shifting climactic shifting point, but it also, I felt like, okay, in real life, you know him him coming to the surface in in the, in the himalayas and the snow was like to me right away this metaphor for this all coming to the surface and i think you guys elucidated that in the film as well so it wasn't just my idea but h how was the family you know talk a little bit about the process of talking those folks into uh into this this project what it could mean you know versus just all going to therapy and keeping it under under wraps uh, you know, and, and, you know, it's so compelling the differences between your brothers when they're on screen is like, you know, Sam is this, to me, this like en enigmatic figure in this whole story that's like still not cracked. I don't think as far as I could tell. And when he's on screen, I'm, I was just riveted because I was like, this guy is like got a lot going on in here and oh, his yeah. anxiety and stuff. So Talk to talk to us a little bit about like what it what it was like to be like okay here's what I'd like to do will you guys come along with me on this? So when Alex's body was discovered and we all wrapped our heads around what that meant and decided as a family to go back to Tibet together, um, and we came to Mountain Film and talked about it for the first time in public to our community there and. It was after that that presentation, and we we had told our community that we were going to go have this experience together. That David Holbrook actually came to me and was like, "Hey, if you if you ever want to tell a story about your family and about Alex, you know, you should think about filming this journey." And that was when I first really started thinking about it. I think up until that point I had thought about maybe making a film about Alex at some point in my life, just as a way to find the courage to delve into the archives, you know, up into that point in my life, I still had a hard time hearing his voice or seeing video footage of him much less, um, just because it brought everything back. And so when I asked my family, if we could film, I, I think at that point, none of us, me included, really knew what it would ever become. You know, we thought maybe it would just be a video that we could reference personally to understand what had happened over there. And so when we came back from that trip and I was like, hey, I, th I think 
there's something here for us. And I think there's something here for a story that could be very impactful for people in a broader way. Um, they were all pretty skeptical <laughs> and you know, Sam, Sam had shot all that footage with me in Tibet. We shot all that together and I asked him if he wanted to make this movie with me and he said, no, you know, he, he didn't want to go into that for himself. You know, he was afraid of what he would find there and what it, what it might do to the dynamics of our family because it was something that that we all balanced internally as a family, you know, it, the, the tension that Alex still being there for all of us in a very like real day to day way, you know, my parents still living in the same house, you know, pictures of him on the wall. He's there with us every day still. And I, and I, that's kind of strange, I think, for, for anyone else who probably went through this. You know, you hold on to people who are lost in one way or another. But because it was the story that still to this day had defined our family, you know, people still talk about Alex, you know, whenever they hear my last name. <laughs> um, and that's the case for all of us. I think for me, at least I saw it as a way of just addressing that head on. And yeah, it definitely was something that my, my family was reticent to, to dig into because as you can see, it's, it's still very raw and, and real and present for all of us. But, uh, I think that is a, another big point of the story is that it's through trusting and love, trusting that love is worth it that you make it through these sorts of difficult things. You know, my mom trusted that it was worth it to love Conrad even after just losing Alex. We all trusted that it was worth it to love Conrad and allow him and is our dad. And, and they trusted that it would be worth it to love me and allow me to do this for myself. And I'm super grateful for that. <laughs> So. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could feel the tension. That's why Sam, I think, kept coming back to this like crux to me because you just mentioned tension, and I just felt him because he he the middle kid, and then he was old enough to have a vague memory, and I I just keep thinking about those scenes with him, and I was like, I could feel it like pulling, you know, so it was really compelling stuff, and I don't know if he was you know, happy with how it turned out, um, or not. You, you maybe don't need to speculate on that, um, publicly oh, without him around, but, um, oh, but it was, said, it was fascinating. He said that he was unpleased. He's oh, like, okay. he's like, I, I came off looking like a total dick. No, I will tell if you get a minute, you can tell him I totally, absolutely and utterly disagree with him Yeah, um, that he, he's, he's such this important emotional part of the film that like, to me, just like, his his parts like are the thesis of the whole movie to me. So yeah, there no, you go. I agree. <laughs> I agree, and I think he had a, had a lot of trouble finding value in the process of making the film, and then finding his his place within the story as well. But we did this tour in the UK in November and went and screened at Kendall and did a couple other BAFTA screenings. And 
uh, Sam came along and, and that, that was the first time that he got up on stage with us and did Q and A's. And it was cool to hear him talk about how watching the film a few times over at that point had allowed him to move through observing things about our lives and about who Alex was in a way that he hadn't before and talk about how he was opening up personally to the experiences that he has been finding in the mountains himself, you know, of all of us, he is kind of beginning to push more into that realm that Conrad and Alex existed it in doing big Alpine ascents and wanting to do more like risky skiing and, and climbing stuff. And it was cool to, to hear him talk about how the film has, has allowed him to see, see things for himself that he hadn't before. One thing I'm uh, curious to hear your thoughts about are this tension that the film talks about between Alex, the myth and Alex, the man and the real person. And that tension is, it's a result of the fact that Alex was this public person who was widely beloved in the community. And in fact, you know, I got into climbing in um, 1999 or around that time, right when Alex died. And I was graduating high school that year. And, you know, I, <laughs> through my adolescence, I was obsessed with comic book heroes and superheroes and stuff like that. And so, I recall Alex being this person who was this real life superhero, even though he had, he had just died, but there were all these articles about all of the amazing things that he had done. It was all couched in this language of him being a superhero. That word comes up a lot in the film as well. But what I found interesting was the, the, the absence of really explaining or going into just the details or the storytelling about what Alex did in life that earned him that recognition. I found that a very conspicuous absence. You know, I, I could see this if this were like part of a real rock film or something like that, there'd be like a fast paced, you know, kind of glitzy look at, you know, Alex as this kind of larger than life superhero figure, but you, you shied away from any temptation to, to go into that. And so I'm wondering if that was a conscious decision and what your feelings are with that tension between who he was as this public person and how climbers and the climbing community regarded him and revered him and how that tension influenced you personally, influenced your own grief around his death and, and then influenced how you approach this as a filmmaker. Yeah. I definitely wanted to be fair to him in his story. You know, part of this was me exploring who that that Alex was as well, but more through the eyes of Conrad. You know, I, I wanted to see how Conrad sees him now and explore how Conrad experienced that growth of Alex as a superhero and then also through my mom's eyes. You know, this was never going to be a story about mountain climbers going off to find glory and fame, but more about how we all as a family experienced that, you know, and that was the value I saw from the very get go. And, and telling the story was every family experiences that in one way within the dynamics of the people that they love, you know, everyone has someone who is probably pulling away in some way, shape or form 
Um, you know, this is an extreme example of that because in mountaineering you can die doing what you love, but I wanted to be fair to Alex, but for myself and also for each of my family members, you know, this was me trying to break down that myth a little bit so that we could understand him more as he is to us now. You know, we don't get to know who he would be as a father, as a best friend, as a husband for the rest of our lives. Up until this point, we got to know him as the story and that skews your perspective as someone who is in direct relation to him as a son, as the widow, as the best friend left behind, you know, you, you sit in this for the rest of your life and that impacts who you become as a person. And, you know, I wanted to tell Alex's story as it impacted our lives. And I, and I think that I hope that he would, he would appreciate that because as much as he was revered for the things that he did in mountaineering, I like to think that in the end he would have cared more about the impact he had on our lives as his kids, you know? And I think at the end of all of our lives, we hope that we had a positive impact on the people that held us up in life more so than on the legacy storyboards of the world because I mean, those are the, those are the things that last. Those are the things that carry generations down the line. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating because you, you know, you've done what great, I think, and I'm going to say the movie's great. Um, storytellers do, which is that you reveal the complication behind the, the surface mythology and, and, you know, whatever courage it took you to do that is is a little bit unfathomable for me, not having lived the situation. But, you know, we we got to put Alex into Amber, and I guess you guys did too, and, and he froze in this place, you know. He froze as, as Conrad's best friend, he, you know. Um, he froze as your hero fa- father, and, and we also, you know, it's like the story's ended, but we still have them as climbers, and he still, you know, populates this place of mythology um, for certain climbers, including myself, but the reality of it was completely different, which is why this movie I think is so impactful for someone like me who's known the story. I mean, I know I've known since it happened. I've talked to Conrad a bit intimately about it, um, you know, in his uh, interview with me. But you're growing up. You're you. It was ten. You were ten when it happened, I think, um, or about. So you go through high school. How much of this? You know, it's very public now, and it, and it was a well-known thing within climbing, but how much of it, like, did people around you sort of know about? Were you in high school dealing with the stigma of this, um, or were you able to at least kind of outwardly get on with it without friends asking you about it, without, you know, there was that, you talked quite a bit in the film about sort of the the negativity that surrounded Conrad, you know, um, and, your, and your mother getting married. You confronted her a little bit about that. Um, was that with you outwardly or were you able to kind of at least publicly go on with your life um, without sort of us climbers intruding in on you <laughs> as I you mean, were, you know, going through puberty and shit like that? Yeah, yes and no. 
in different ways. I mean, right. we didn't go back to school for a few weeks because my mom didn't want us to have to go back to class and have everyone ask us about it because it was on the news. You know, it was like mm-hmm. Tom Brokaw came and interviewed my mom about right. Alex's death and came back and did a story with her and Conrad. You know, it was this thing that everyone knew about. And it's been funny actually having put the film out. We just did our Bozeman screening here uh, last week and having all my friends come up and be like, I remember that day that I heard your dad had died and, and thinking about you and, and wondering what you were going through. And our world is small, but it's also big. If that makes sense, you know, it mm-hmm. feels like within our adventure community that we're a little bit insulated, but also it goes beyond, you know, people looking in and yeah, I mean, I was able to go on and, and live my life and, you know, live outside of that story, but it also just continued to creep in throughout my entire existence, you know, whether or not I was noticing it in one way or another, you know, wanting to step into the outdoor world and become a photographer after college, you know, coming to outdoor retailer and people knowing who I was and then also being Conrad's son, you know, people just know. And even if they don't say anything, up until this point and still to this day, I feel like I'm kind of just the kid of, and I feel like me telling this story and making this film was in a small way, me being like, I have a story to tell also, and I have a perspective on this. And yes, Alex was this immense character who lived beyond the grave for so many people, but his story didn't end there. It continued on with me, with my family and uh, I wanted to kind of take a hold of that a little bit. Yeah, I would say you successfully achieved that. Um, and just in terms of your maturity in terms of these tough interviews that you conduct throughout the film with your mom and and uh, brothers and stuff. So it, and, and Conrad as well, you know, you're very direct with your questions and and they answer your questions directly and honestly. That's a sign of respect, a, a sign of uh, of dignity that that the truth needs to be said, and so that was that's cool to to hear you say that, and just to see that thread in the film of your own personal kind of stepping out of your dad's shadow to some degree and, and asserting yourself as a as an adult. What's been the response that you've gotten to this film? Have you have has, have there been any kind of I guess what's the typical response and have you gotten anything that surprised you? I crafted this film, not really on the bones of other adventure stories, but more on the bones of other family stories. This documentary called stories we tell uh, by filmmaker Sarah Polly and probably five years ago now at mountain film, I saw minding the gap directed by a buddy of mine now. Bing Liu and it was stories told by characters who were both the filmmaker but also in the story and their family and coming out of that screening at Mountain Film like the vulnerability that Bing shared via that film made me feel 
open in a way that I had never experienced before. And going into the making of this film, you know, I, I just wanted to be able to imbue that feeling. You know, I, I wanted people to feel like they could be vulnerable and it would be okay. <laughs> you know, because I feel like a, a lot of what holds us back from opening up about the stuff that bogs us down as individuals is this fear that we're going to be judged for it or that people are going to scoff at us for being weak or whatever. There's all sorts of societal things that, that keep us from, from that power that exists within being vulnerable. And, and I hoped that this film would inspire that in, in people, both within the adventure outdoor climbing community, as well as beyond. And, and that has been one of the pretty remarkable responses. Um, you know, we were just in New York doing screenings for people who were totally outside of this world and, the stories that people come up and share after the screenings is just remarkably powerful and you know, people holding on to all sorts of different grief. And then by experiencing the film you know, seeing a door for themselves to, to explore that in some way, shape or form. So that has been a pretty remarkable thing to see um, and hold, you know, as a storyteller, you hope that your work impacts people in a way that makes them see their own existence in new new light, I think. And and to be able to to have that experience is just just truly remarkable. Right before we jumped on, Chris and I were talking about which part of the film makes makes you cry or made us cry, you know? Because there's I think any no one can watch this film without having at least one moment that really just, you know, hits them and makes them mm-hmm. choke up and tear up and you know, for me, it was uh, the Sam's line about just not really knowing who Alex was. Like, he doesn't, he, you know, he's just kind of this fictional character in a way. And I've got two daughters who are five and two and a half right now. And so that really struck home was, you know, just this idea that if I die tomorrow, this very close relationship I have with these two young ladies, they might, they might reach adulthood and not even know who I was. And, and and that just, yeah, brought me to tears. But yeah, I would imagine everyone can find something in this sto- in this film to just, you know, that reminds them of their own family dynamics and their own relationship to grief and loss and, and things like that. And so that must be cool yeah. for you to just hear, hear all those stories from people who come up to you and tell, tell you afterward what their, what it was that really struck them. Speaking yeah. of free therapy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now you're the therapist. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it is so cool. I mean, I think you're the first person who, who mentioned that moment, but it's cool to hear the different moments from the film that people see something of their own life within. A lot of people resonate with the scene in the kitchen because I think for whatever reason, like it's rare for us as people to interact with our parents in that sort of direct way. And, you know, we, we tell the people we love, we love them all the time, but to like make a moment of it and tell them why and look them in the eye and tell you, tell you them that you love them is like something we just don't do very often in life. And to me, I didn't know if that scene would work. It was kind of 
you know, I, I knew that I wanted to have this moment with Conrad and I, I tried it a couple different other ways b- before that scene. And that was like one of the last things we shot. And I was like, I just, I need to tell him this. We, we had had that cabin scene with my mom where I, we had read these letters that he had written my mom after Alex's death. And it became so apparent to me up into that point. I think that I felt like Conrad was kind of trapped with us. You know, he, he was trapped by his survivor's guilt into being with us and maybe his life would have been better without us. But it was when we finally read those letters and I got to see that side of his experience that I realized that he needed us as much as we had needed him in that moment. And, um, the kitchen scene was kind of me feeling like I needed to tell him how much I appreciated that he was there. Yeah, that was my cry scene. I was curious because, you know, I, I as I may have mentioned, I know I, I have a little bit of an insight personally into, you know, Conrad. And, and I've thought a lot about about you guys, actually, oddly, um, in him and, and what it, what the mix was. And and I, I've always felt like since I've, I've gotten to know him that there was this, like, weight of obviously there always and and what it was and what its complications were so to me i was like wow that scene really resonated but i was wondering if it was because i had this sort of previous knowledge um because what he's bearing is i think also very obvious in the film that there's this weight there and uh but yeah i mean men don't often talk like that to each other either i mean it's it's just the way it is and so uh yeah it was awesome scene and i was fascinated by the fact that and I'm always fascinated by by the um you know the 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 fourth wall or whatever of having this this person other person there or whatever or however you filmed it um maybe there was just a drone hovering there I don't know but um you know to to do these intimate things on film it's like it must have been a, a kind of a a wild feeling to to set this up and then film it oh yeah I I mean and I was lucky that I. Um, came into my partnership with Chris Murphy, who was a producer on my producer and partner on the film, but also filmed a lot of it. He's a very talented DP and, you know, he just became part of my family really throughout the process of making this and his intimacy and closeness to, to us, I think allowed a lot of those scenes to happen. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was, kind of an all encompassing force that really stepped in to be a support system, help me balance my role, both as a character and the director. You know, he was like fielding calls from my mom at 7am when she was worried about things and, you know, there to help me make sure that we were holding up our end of the deal as far as making this story that would hopefully impact people beyond just our immediate circle of influence. And then also make sure that I wasn't pushing my family too far, you know? And yeah, yeah. I had a question about that director wise being on the other side of the camera and, and you, again, you do the, the breaking of the wall because you're being filmed, filming and mm-hmm. talking during the interviews and stuff. So you know, what was your sense and, and how did you guide yourself in terms of pushing too hard? You know, did you cross cross the line, you know, where 
you maybe went too hard, too fast or anything like that? And how did you, where was your governor with, how do I, you know, how do I do this without breaking, you know, shattering the, the, what I'm creating kind of a thing. Those conversations were personal. You know, I set, I set it all up and we, we figured out how we wanted to shoot it. We, we knew that we wanted to have a camera on me to kind of capture some of these moments where we're looking back on my reactions as, as character Max, as I'm interacting with my family. But for me personally, those interviews were, you know, the, those conversations that you experience from my perspective as the director are the first time I'm having those conversations with my family members. And I personally, in a selfish way, was using this space that you can find in front of the camera to have candid conversations in a way that you might never be able to otherwise. And, you know, I I think that I was in it, you know, and I was leading with my vulnerability. I was opening up about things that I was scared to talk about as well. And so I think that my governor on, on what was okay to bring up and what wasn't was my own governor, you know, (laughs) if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, each of those interviews with my family were, you know, four, three, four hours long and they were intense and I was crying just as much as, my parents were crying and you know, a lot of the decisions came in the edit and that is where I had to really strike a balance and make sure that I was holding on to the integrity of the story I wanted to tell while also making sure that my family felt like it wasn't just my perspective because it needed to be all of our story as well if they were going to be a part of it. And, um, you know, my brothers and Conrad were much more open to allowing me to explore things that they maybe weren't comfortable with. And my mom was less, <laughs> you know, she throughout our entire life into present, you know, is this fierce mother grizzly bear, just defending the legacy and story of our family and Alex. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys have both crossed paths with her at some point I think she felt this necessity to preserve Alex for us in that positive light as, as their sons, you know, she wanted us to see him in that way. And for me to want to explore him more as the imperfect man so that we could measure ourselves to him in a little bit more realistic way was tough because it was something that was just baked in for her. You know, she's been doing it for two decades. And so when you're just talking, yeah. yeah, when you were just talking about that, I was, that's what I kept thinking is like, is there's this, I mean, it, as far as those interviews are concerned, at least the way the edits work out, you know, you, you, you definitely sort of confront your mom more than, than anybody else. And, and you can, I mean, I don't actually, I've never met her, but it's, it's so clear what you just said. when she's on screen um it's fascinating and and again it's all just part of this thing where each of your brothers and your family have are playing these roles and they've probably been playing these roles as you just said for 20 years Mm -hmm. and so it's like what's role and what's real is i think the the fascinating thing of this film it's just it's just a wild 
ride into uh, facade and, and roles and things versus what's going on under the surface. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that scene in particular with uh, when you're um, interrogating your mom about this, she, um, <laughs> you know, I, it just goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, she's speaking to you, not just as a son, but as a, as an adult and as a, as an equal, and she's giving you an honest answer that you deserve. And, and I think that's really, that, that, that just infuses the entire film. And, and I think that is why it's such a, an honest look at a really tough subject is because there's so, um, so little tolerance for bullshit from everyone involved, because this has been something that you've been living with for over 20 years now. And it's, you're, you're kind of clearing the air in a way with your family, you know, and then there's this other, well, I guess one, the, the question I have embedded in this observation is uh, maybe touches onto the, the title of the film, which is torn. Um, which kind of, to me, elicits, you know, the sense of a wound, which is, you know, what what grief is. And, you know, grief is this weird pain where it never really heals. You kind of always live with it. And, you know, it can kind of catch you off guard and knock you on your ass, at, you know, 20 years later or whatever it is. And it doesn't ever really close. The, the wound doesn't ever close. And so there's always this terror. But was there a sense of you of any kind of reconciliation with your mom or, or your brothers or with Conrad that you, you kind of, um, yeah? How did how did this process of making this film bring any sense of closure or repair um, to that initial that initial wound? I think coming out of Tibet, I saw that having never discussed this stuff before as a family, we, we never went to family therapy to talk about any of this. And I don't think my dad beyond his friendship with Tim Tate has ever gone to therapy, which is kind of remarkable to me. We just kind of talked about it in the family. And um, I saw that, that family dynamic had kind of not allowed any of us as individuals to explore it like we needed to. And so from my perspective, I saw that opening it all up, you know, we, we were all still carrying this wound 20 years later. And I thought that opening it up and airing it out and allowing all of us to explore the pain that we were still carrying would maybe allow us to start the healing process. You know, a lot of people asked if, if going back to Tibet had brought closure and in a way it did, but not in that moment, you know, it, it brought closure in the sense that we got to see Alex's body, you know, his death became more real, you know, and I explore that in the film, you know, for a year or two, I thought that he still might come back. And I think that even though I eventually came around to, to Conrad being our father and the fact that he never came back and we, we never got to see him just kind of left this kind of coda. It was just this ending that, that wasn't really anything concrete. And so that, that itself was closure in a way, but for the emotional tears that we had all experienced when he had been killed I think it just brought all that back to the surface, at least for me. 
And so making this film was in my hope a way for us just to address that for the first time in all of our lives in a very forward way and set ourselves on the course of maybe finding some closure as individuals and our relationships to it. And I, I think it'll be a process of years as I watch the film over and over again, touring it around. I'm like, man, like what am I going to think about this experience when I'm 60 years old? I think it's been a process for all of us in different ways. When we premiered the film at Telluride, like Conrad could barely even watch the movie. Like he was just crying and sobbing in every screening and he didn't want to come on tour with the film at all really. And he decided to come to Banff with us and being there and presenting it to people like Barry Blanchard and, and some of these folks that he's known for a long time and getting the validation that they thought it was a powerful and worthy thing to do. It comes back to that point that you made that in our community, men just don't really talk about this sort of stuff. You don't ever acknowledge the, the possibility that we're going to die and what's going to happen afterwards. And so I, I think it's going to be a process that we all continue on with for the rest of our lives probably. And, you know, I hope that my brothers don't resent me for it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I hope it's brought us all closer in a way, but that's just kind of one of those things that you don't really know. And, and I, in the process of making the film, you know, I, I talked with Bing a lot about the process that he went through in making Minding the Gap. And, you know, I asked him if it was worth it. And he's like, I don't know, man. Like, you just do stuff with the hope that it is. And the process is something that doesn't have a, a definite ending. Andrew started by talking about how this is like a warts and all kind of look at you know, Alex versus the, versus the superhero image, but, you know, to turn it into uh, a little bit of a positive aspect, you say you became the man of the house. You, you, you remember Alex the most of, of your three brothers. Um, and so you did have a four year gap. Is that right? From you to Sam? Yeah. Sam's four um, years younger than me and Isaac is four years younger than Sam. So you, you, you know, so you're, you're an adult while those guys later in life are still kids. You know, what, what do you see as like the positive outcomes? I mean, this, this guy, Alex was still this father figure, you know, he was living in the house metaphorically as, as you know, um, how did it, you know, how did it shape you guys in positive ways to have this strong figure that, that was around for your first 10 years and, and as a younger kid, do you see aspects of Alex coming out in your brothers that, um, that you're proud of? Oh yeah. I mean, Isaac, as you can see, looks so much like Alex. You know, I think that it's just one of those things, you know, even if he was alive today, we would all kind of wonder what we had got from, got from him versus my mom or what we got from Conrad. You know, you, you pick things up from your parents that you just don't really see until you, I mean, in the process of making this film, that was one of the remarkable things as well for me was just being able to talk to my parents so candidly and see the ways that they process their own lives and reflect upon how, how I've picked up on those same traits. 
you know, looking at Sam now and this hunger for adventure. And, you know, I think we all have traits of Alex within us as we all have traits of Conrad now and, and my mom. And, you know, I, I think that that, that is the positive takeaway of this film for me is that you know, we'll all experience great loss in our lives if we live long enough and we'll have to learn to move through it. And if we do it in love and trust with the people that we're experiencing those things with, you can see the benefits of living and dying, you know, dying is, it's part of life. And the people who are gone, they lived out their story and they wouldn't want any of us to linger in the pain of the loss that we experience in their absence. And we all hope that when we're gone, the people who we love will carry on the things that we gave them in life. And I think that you know, that is something that I wanted to paint within Torn as well. And something that I hope each of my brothers is able to see different things for themselves within, within the film in that, in that regard. And same with my parents. So as much as it is kind of a cry fest, um, <laughs> for different people in different moments, I hope, I hope that when people watch this film, they recognize that love is worth it in the end and, and it's worth trusting trusting and stepping up to that edge and and seeing what's beyond if you're sitting there thinking how the hell do these guys keep this amazing run of incredible content up and going then look no further than our Patreon account at patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Support the run out there and get a buoyant bonus content like the story of how a dick move on Tenken Poche in the Himalaya nearly got Andrew canceled again. The bonus material is raw and for your ears only when you become a patron. So join us in the shadowy inside world of climbing at patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Before Chris Hampton of Power Company Climbing became a training guru, he was many things. A father, an artist, a trad climber, and as we will hear on today's final bit, a rapper. Circa 2005 and under the moniker O-Dub, Chris wrote and recorded this final bit titled 15 Minutes of Fame as a cheeky call-out to climbers we still revere, mourn, and in some cases have totally forgotten. Me and Micah dashed over to Steve's house to tell him all the stories we was hearing about. And then Mike called, confirmed that the rumors was true. Told us John were back or if we wanted him to. See, John long ago was the go-to shield. If you needed somebody like Jason Keeled, in my heart I feel that has served Cedar right. He's running with Aaron. Shame he ain't too bright. We need Kurt Smith and Wesson. Katie's Browning 30-30. Saint gonna be pretty. Gonna have to get our hands dirty. Need info first. Tyler hacked the system. Looks like Tommy called. Well, 
guess we missed him. Leo's holding on line too. He wants in and we could use Bobby for the way that she bends men. We need a good lookout. Make sure that he's armed. We could set up Bob's camp in Natasha's barn. See, Kate recently was abducted off Lynn's Hill by some guys she trusted. And even though they said that Jim could buy her back... Todd figured they'd skin her when they got the cash And Ron calculated that our shot was long Without Tucker's technology and Werner's brawn I heard this song that Justin sang Instantly reminded me of Angie's pain and what she went through That's when I knew Couldn't let this happen to Greg's child too And so we took the chance and collect the cash We could get Ivan's green and Adam's stacks Nate's got gold Corey's rich Pulled it all together We could make the switch We need a G for the D. This job's a scary one. But he was ready. Told Obi to carry on. We hide. We wait. Tonight's the night. Hear footsteps and see Ben in the moonlight. Eric's in the scully. Wills is the young one. Jeff was paranoid. He's already been stung once. Daniel's in the woods. Right beside him. But Tyler knows the land, man. He got behind him. Conrad's the anchor. A step above. He drives the kind of Porsche that men love. And that's where we found her, locked in the trunk, gagged, bound, and drugged up. Timmy O'Neill, the lifter, she looked like hell, and Nikki dialed 911 on her cell. I told her my man Chris and lend her a hand, but she's all messed up from snorting Dave's grams. Tim can pull him, but she could hardly stand. OD'd on Boone's speed, that was not the plan. You've just finished another episode of the Runout Podcast. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and you can reach me at andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And I'm Chris Kalous, and you can reach me at andrew at runoutpodcast.com. <laughs> Dude, come on. <laughs> because Chris at runoutpodcast.com is where emails go to die. That's true. We also have a Patreon that you can support our show at, and it's runoutpodcast.patreon.runoutpodcast.com. No, no, no. no, no. It's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Yes. <laughs> if you dream of sending 514 every month for the rest of your life, <laughs> you should go and sign up at patreon slash runoutpodcast.com. <laughs> no, pot.com slash runoutpodcast. Something like that. Give us some money. 